I am proud to stand here as the first female and longest serving incumbent of this office. And I'm very proud of what has been achieved in the years I've been in Butte House. However, since my very first moments in the job, I have believed that part of serving well would be to know almost instinctively when the time is right to make way for someone else. And when that time came, to have the courage to do so, even if to many across the country and in my party, it might feel too soon. In my head and in my heart, I know that time is now. Hello and welcome to The Stishy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Derek Healy, the Courier's political editor, and today I'm joined by investigations editor Callum Ross and political reporter Rachel Emery. Now, this is a very hastily arranged special episode, I should say, not the first hastily arranged meeting of the day, and of course we're here to discuss the blockbuster resignation of First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. Political journalists are sometimes guilty of a little bit of hyperbole, but I think in this case it's probably fair to describe it as blockbuster. There had been rumblings that Nicola Sturgeon could be eyeing the exit of Butte House, but I think you'd struggle to find anyone outside of our closest circle who knew the announcement would be coming this morning. Callum, Nicola Sturgeon spoke about making the very final part of her decision, that final 1%, at the funeral of a close friend this week. At times it was a very personal statement. She spoke about her family, her friends, and a feeling of being almost burnt out. It actually reminded me of the resignation of Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand. How much of the decision here do you think is down to just, you know, knowing it was time to step away? And how much do you think it's because of some of those political pressures we've seen in recent months? Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see, uh, Derek, won't we? Because, um, you know, there are have been rumours, that's uh, kind of speculation that, 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 that the decision might have been to do with investigations into into party finances and things like that. But I mean, on the surface, it seems like, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's eight years in the top job. It would be take its toll on anyone, um, not just any old eight years. If you think of the last couple of years, you know, she's had the, well, the last three years, the pandemic, where she was doing daily press conferences. Uh, for much of it, um, taking questions from journalists on TV. Then from that, it was basically straight into the Salmond inquiry, which is pretty kind of brutal um, in terms of the kind of public unraveling of her relationship with her her former mentor. Then it was into an election, um, and then you've you know uh, you've had everything since with the cost of living crisis and and um, now the whole row about transgender rights. So yeah, I spoke to one of her her. Um, close friends uh, not long before coming on here and and they were saying yeah exactly that 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 it was burnout basically and this is the right decision for for her and her her family yeah, i thought it was quite interesting that um the kind of conclusion to that that press conference was nicola sturgeon saying you know if you're going to carry on in politics you haven't seen the end of me sort of spelling out that there's more to the nicola sturgeon story more chapters yet to come and then Right as it was ending, there was that final question about the police inquiry. And she said, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to answer that. I mean, let's let's put this very, very bluntly, because I know there will be people who will be asking themselves this question 
And I actually think that Nicola Sturgeon came very close to just addressing this specifically. But do you think the response to the gender recognition bill came into this decision in any major way? Or is, is there more going on there, Callum? I mean, I, I don't have any inside information on that. I don't think it would have been a decisive factor because, like, you know, I've just listed some of the things she's been through. Um, she's used to being under pressure. I think it's fair to say there's been in the last couple of weeks a kind of consensus growing that she's not handled it very well, the whole kind of Isla Bryson case and everything else. And there's deep, deep divisions in the SNP and, and a lot of people kind of blame Sturgeon. So, I mean, I, I think it has played a factor. Whether 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 it's a major factor, I don't know. I guess we might have to wait uh, for her kind of uh, memoirs on that one. Rachel, what did you make of the speech itself? I saw, I saw a lot of people praising it as you know very polished and and well-communicated, something we've really come to expect from Nicola Sturgeon at press conferences. What were your thoughts as you were watching it? Well, like you said, she she is known for being very good at doing these kind of speeches, so that's not surprising. But I think one thing that we saw in this speech, a bit more of the sort of personal human side to Nicola Sturgeon, I mean, she was talking about her husband, her, her niece and her nephew, going out with friends for coffee, going out for a walk, um, sort of her as a human being beyond her as a politician. And that's not something we necessarily see very often from Nicola Sturgeon. So that was definitely something quite noteworthy, I thought, from today's resignation speech. Yeah, you're right. She spoke about um, her nephews being very young when she first kind of came into this position and now being, I think, 17 years old and wanting to make a little bit more time, I think, for them in their life. Um when I watched that, I was really struck by the difference. First of all, in, in the ability as a political leader, but also just in tone from the resignation of Liz Truss. Uh, I was quite interested in some of the wording being used. You know, Nicola Sturgeon spoke of resigning out of a sense of love for Scotland and its people, and then that there are members of the public who feel love towards her, and obviously members of the public who don't feel the same, that same love towards her. Uh, Calum, I'd be really interested to hear what you thought of the speech itself. Do you think she struck the right tone here? I think your your last point is key. That uh, you know, as with everything in Scottish politics these days, it'll kind of depend on your on your viewpoint of Nicola Sturgeon. Most people will have a, a view one way or another, possibly linked to their view of the debate over Scotland's constitutional future but yeah yeah i think she was i mean she's 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 a really as rachel said you know she's a really um talented communicator i think one of the best there's been um in politics in the uk um in the last few decades probably and i think yeah i think she probably did strike the right tone uh today as she as she quite often does obviously anytime a political leader stands down attention will turn very quickly to who is next in line I found it quite interesting that when we saw some of the sort of early opinion polls or, or online polls being done, a lot of people found it quite difficult to say who they thought the next leader should be. Names like Kate Forbes, Angus Robertson and Keith Brown obviously come to mind. Rachel, looking over that current group, um, do you see any potential for a really good first minister among them? Yeah, it's difficult because in 2014, when Alex Salmond stepped down, Nicola Sturgeon was the very obvious choice. It was nobody even questioned it was going to be Nicola Sturgeon next. This time round, though, there isn't necessarily a clear front runner like there was in 2014. Like you said, there are some names already getting um, said. Um, I know Stephen Flynn's already sort of 
been um, spoken of too, but although he has said that he is not going to stand for leader, some may still hope that he does. Um, but yeah, could you even look perhaps beyond the front bench? Uh, in Westminster, with Stephen Flynn coming in as the leader only a few months ago, it was bringing in a much younger voice. Is that something they're now going to look to do in Hollywood as well? Um, in which case, somebody like Kate Forbes or Hamza Youssef might be a good shout. But there's those sort of beyond the front bench that might be good too. I mean, you look at sort of uh, like Mary McAllen, for example, or Jenny Gilruth. Uh, these names might come up as well uh, beyond those who are now being touted at the front. Callum, you've been taking a little look at the sort of runners and riders for us today. Um, you've spent time observing different politicians at Hollywood. I wonder who you think would make the most formidable opponent for Anna Sarwar and Douglas Ross, whether it's a First Minister's questions or, or just in general? Who, who would have that kind of debating skill about them, do you think? That's a good question. Uh, I would imagine the one they would least likely like to go up against is probably Kate Forbes. But I do have a sense, and it may end up looking stupid, but I do have a sense that it might not be her this time. You know, she's just coming back. She's not even back from maternity leave. Vet, I mean, it's hard. To, I would imagine it's hard to go back into any job after maternity leave, let alone um, become first minister. But I think she's she's very competent and, and, you know, across her brief knows the details and the way she works, I think, might put them off a bit. I think Angus Robertson's not been mentioned yet, I don't think. he's He seems to be the bookies' favourite, obviously hugely experienced as well from his time as leader at Westminster, um, where he was you know, he he reg- regularly kind of, uh, well he took on the, the Prime Minister of the day every 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 Wednesday at Prime Minister's Questions and did quite well, so I think I think those two would probably be the the two that that the their opponents would least, least likely to but as I said, I would say out of the two Angus Robertson's possibly more likely at this stage. It's quite interesting. I don't think we've had a leadership election since 2004. When, when Alex Salmond left and you know, it felt very obvious for a long time that Nicola Sturgeon was next in line, there isn't the same person waiting in the wings this time around. You know, is, is there room here, Callum, do you think, for opposition parties to capitalise on that fact. I mean, we're going to, it looks like we could have a leadership election, so there could potentially be some internal divisions and politics getting played out very publicly. Um, You know, for Anna Sauer and Douglas Ross, who are looking to make up ground, is is this a chance for them to do that, do you think? Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I mean, the SNP are are tired in some ways. They've been in power since 2007. They're deeply divided over things like gender recognition. They're not looking like they're going to make any progress on getting another independence referendum anytime soon. Um, You know, the next leader of the SNP is going to have a really difficult job, difficult enough kind of trying to follow uh, uh, someone like Nicola Sturgeon Um, and then having all these other problems in your entry. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, you know, I wonder if uh, it kind of looks like Labour heading towards... A bit of a resurgence south of the border, whether whether Labour in Scotland might be able to kind of uh, fly along on the coattails of that and 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 make a bit of an impact impact in Scotland again too. What an interesting time to have a Labour conference coming up, um, and we'll have some very special coverage coming of that this week. Um, so I would encourage you to keep an eye out for our regular sushi programming and some of the things we have planned for that it should be very interesting indeed uh, but before that you know one of the other aspects of this conversation is 
what kind of legacy Nicola Sturgeon is going to leave behind. Rachel's been out in the streets of Dundee asking people what they think of the First Minister's resignation and what comes next. So let's have a listen to that. What's your reaction to Nicola Sturgeon resigning as First Minister? Uh, I'm really sad about it just because Nicola has been such a strong, prominent leader and especially like with their stance on trans rights. I'm a massive supporter of that, having like loads of trans friends myself. Um, in terms of everything that Nicola's done, I'm also a supporter for um, another independence, IndyRef2. Um, massive belief that Scotland would do better in Europe. So it's a shame that having that sort of powerful leader with that stance is leaving and I don't know who's going to fill their boots. I'm shocked. I, I liked her. I thought she'd done a great job. And uh, I, I don't really know what more to make it than that. Well, this is the first time I've actually known anything about her, about her res resignation. I think she's tried really hard for the party and she's done what, what's ever possible, you know. She's been a voice for people who have had an awful struggle, I think, sometimes, you know, through all these economic changes. And she's had a lot to cope with COVID and all these things too. So maybe she is right, maybe it is. If she feels that that's... If it's time... It's, and it is leaderless, I agree with her there, definitely. I'm really sad to see her go. Um, she supported the MESH campaign for the victims that were affected by MESH and she was extremely supportive. Yeah, I was a bit shocked myself when I heard the news this morning, but um, I think she's really done an amazing job for Scotland over the years, and it's really been our political enemies in the south in London that forced her, forced her out, so quite a sad day, I think, actually. Looking at her, she looks as though she's tired and she's had enough. Um, but, yeah, and I don't know who, who would replace her, really. No, it's going to be a difficult one, I think. Yeah. Who would you like to see as the next First Minister? I, I have no opinion on that yet. I'm going to have to hear where the, the, the SNP want to go, what their aspirations are at this point. Obviously now, with the changes to uh, independence, the fact that we couldn't go through another independence vote, maybe there's a different plan, if we, maybe there's different aspirations. I hope there is. We certainly need to be moving more forward than we have been. Maybe we have stagnated a wee bit in our push for independence. Well, some, some interesting thoughts there. Um, interesting as well to hear that a lot of people saying they don't really know who they want to come in as that next name, as, as a conversation we've just had. Rachel, you know, obviously in Dundee, where they're, you know, the SNP traditionally do very, very well, it sounded there like there was a lot of admiration for Nicola Sturgeon amongst that group. Is, is that the sense you got when you were speaking to people? Very much so. And like you said, we need to remember that Dundee dubbed Yes City because of its support for independence during the 2014 referendum. But Dundee, the council, is SNP-run. Its MPs are both SNP and their constituency MSPs are also SNP. So obviously there is going to be a bit of bias in the public here, but very much a lot of emotion. People were saying they were upset, they were shocked, didn't see it coming. And yes, like you said, a lot of them had a lot of admiration for her. Beyond things such as independence. You saw there people talking about um, the, the MESH um, survivors, for example. So there's even things like that that we haven't maybe even thought about right, right now because we're thinking about independence, some of these other bigger issues. Um, so yeah, I definitely love admiration, a lot of shock, and yeah, a bit of upset, I think, as well in the city. I, mean, I want to be clear, I mean, that is not possibly the full perspective right across Scotland. I think people feel differently in different areas and, and, and certainly not everyone's a Nicola Sturgeon fan and that's something she kind of acknowledged herself during that, that, 
that conference. Yeah, she is quite um, polarising, and I think especially some of the issues that have come up recently. We have spoke about gender reform, for example. She's come under a lot of pressure recently as well by the A9 duelling, um, another big problem for our area here, because they're not meeting their targets. People are, are dying on this road so often um, because of the lack of duelling. And of course, we can't ignore things like drug deaths, um, a huge mm. issue for Dundee, but also all the way up the northeast coast as well it's not a dundee issue solely so there are these issues where she has caused upset people aren't happy with her record there and people perhaps won't remember fondly for those things yeah i mean there are a lot of different aspects things like education and health as well where you know things are in a very difficult position and i suppose um such as the nature of politics it probably depends what your leanings are in terms of who you blame for that and 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 what you see as being the contributing factors. Callum, what would you, if you had to sum up Nicola Sturgeon's legacy at this point, how would you do that? I mean, for me, I, I think there's two key things that she'll be remembered for kind of positively. That was her handling of the pandemic. You know, like I mentioned earlier, beamed into people's living rooms every day. And at times, especially at the start of the pandemic, you know, everyone was tuning in to find out what was going on i think a lot of people some who didn't like her before became uh, fans of nicola sturgeon because they felt kind of reassured by the way she was handling it and was being more cautious in comparison to the likes of um boris johnson down south and um secondly the kind of tax changes might not spring to everyone's mind but you know scotland's been set on a course now where it's it's tax system's quite different from the rest of uh, the UK and and a bit more progressive uh, uh, so those would be those would be two positive things p- depending on your point of view uh, a lot of people would disagree with both of those uh, as well but there's also been a lot of kind of talk and and failed promises as well like um, Rachel said you know the A9 and uh, and and some of the the education targets and the uh, um, you know social care um, national social care service and uh, and a lot of others, which uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing about over the next few days too. Yeah, I mean, she's an extremely accomplished politician, but you're right. I mean, there'll be questions there over her record, and I'm sure that's something that'll be debated time and time again. But I think as a kind of moment in, in UK politics, um, in terms of a sort of changing of the era, I can't think of anything that really ranks alongside it since... Maybe Tony Blair, um, in terms of really feeling like a change of the guard. I mean, she's been such a huge figure, obviously, particularly in Scottish politics, but in UK politics in general, she's really been there for what feels like a really long time and a really tumultuous time as well of real change. Rachel, what about you? How would you kind of sum up the legacy of Nicola Sturgeon? Just by default, she's going to have a big legacy because she's the first female first minister, longest serving, and the first minister who was there during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, and the Brexit referendum as well, let's not forget. So just by default, she will be, she will have a legacy in Scottish history because of those things. But perhaps there are other things that she would want to be remembered for a bit more fondly as to whether that does end up happening or not. We'll have to see, won't we? But she certainly will be remembered in history books just for those things alone. Yeah, towering figure. Um, absolutely. And, and we'll take you through all the twists and turns as we see who is chosen as her successor and, and how that whole process unfolds. But I think that's probably about all we have time for today. Um, so thank you to our panel members, Rachel and Callum, our producer, Marvin McIntyre, and of course, you for listening. 
We'll be back on Friday with your usual stushy programming, but until then, and even after then, log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, and all of our news brands, so that you can be better briefed. The Stushy is the politics podcast from DC Thompson, designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, Westminster, and our communities, so that you can be better briefed. Don't miss an episode by following The Stushy today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you know folks like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune in or follow Stushy Scott on Twitter and Facebook. And stay even more up to date on local and Scottish news by subscribing to The Courier or Press and Journal, where you can get one month of unlimited access for just £1. Check the episode notes for details and terms.